You're listening to Bringing an Ancient Faith to a Modern World with Father Anthony Messa, where we explore ways to encourage and equip the local Orthodox Church. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Bringing an Ancient Faith to a Modern World podcast. I'm Katie Karras, and I'm here with Father Anthony. How are you, Father Anthony? Good. It's great to be back. I'm glad to keep getting invited back month after month. Well, your name's in the title, so I don't know what we would do. Well, I'm really, really excited about our topic for today, Father Anthony. We are going to be talking about influencing a culture of inclusion and acceptance within our organizations and churches. And that is a big topic. Absolutely. And it's one that I think if you are a leader of a church or a leader of, of, of an organization or you're, you're some position of leadership, this needs to be at the top of your radar um, in terms of it, what your priority is. Because um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we can say what we want about mission and vision and these are our goals. But really, when it comes down to it, it's culture. Um, culture trumps mission and vision every time. You know, you can, we've all been in a workplace that, um, you know, says one thing and, you know, this is what we're here for. Um, but that doesn't mean the culture is there. And I remember, you know, one time, um, I remember when I was in college, I went to University of Virginia and they made this big deal about like the honor code and the honor code and the honor code. And you're going to get kicked out of school if, you know, an honor code, an honor code. And that's what they kept saying. And I was like, oh, this is a real big deal. And then I got to college and I realized it didn't take me more than a month to realize that everyone's cheating. So you know what? The, the mission and the vision and, and what they say on the paper was honor code. Um, but you know what? Culture trumps mission and vision. Um, and, and I learned that pretty quickly over there. And I'm not saying anything bad about the school, um, but uh, at least within my experience, what they said um, didn't match what the people were doing. Yeah, and I, I think we probably all have a story like that where we've gone into a new job or um, a new organization or a new group where we've been told that the culture was one thing and kind of fell, found out that it was the opposite or um, much worse than we were expecting. So I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, and I see it, I see it sometimes in churches. Um, you know, I, I see you know, churches saying, you know, everyone is included and you know, open doors and all are welcome, but the bottom line is it, it may just it may not ever make it past, you know, that that mission statement or that 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 quote in that meeting. Um, you know, I, I think of another example of one time I I went to a church. I was asked by um, a bishop to go out to a church, um, you know, somewhere in Europe that, that was having some problems. And specifically, you know, the young people weren't attached to the church and, you know, they didn't um, they didn't feel connected to the church and they. He asked if, if I could go and spend, I spent like three weeks there, you know, and try to work with them and try to, you know, create some revival there. Well, again, I'm there and I'm preaching and about love and about unity. And, you know, I, I could see that the people were, were engaged, but they, it wasn't clicking. And then it hit me when I spent time with the priests of that church that, you know what, the priests themselves didn't love each other. And the priests themselves kind of had, each one had their own camp. Like I got my people and you got your people. So what I told the bishop, I said, the problem isn't that the people don't know about love. The people know about it and the priests preach about it. I heard them preach about it and teach it. But the problem is they didn't show it. The, the culture was was kind of sectarianism and the culture was my people versus your people. So I guess what I would say to all churches out there is you have a culture as a church. Your church definitely has a culture and everyone inside it knows it. The question is, is, are you like proactive about defining what it is? 
or it just, it, whatever it happens to be. What if we're not leaders yet? I mean, I think it's very easy um, to kind of sit back and say, well, if I was in charge, everyone would, would understand that what our culture should be. And, you know, if I was president or if I was queen of the world, then, you know, everyone would love each other and it would be great. But, you know, I'm not queen of the world, unfortunately. So how can I shift an existing culture where I, that I feel like is not headed in the right direction? That's a great question because that's that's actually what the purpose of this podcast is to me, is that I know the people who are listening to this podcast may not be in positions of authority, but they're people who, you know what, they care and they love and they want to see how they can, you know, influence the culture and make changes even though they don't have the job title. There was a, a book that I, I saw uh, about a year or so ago. It's called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And I'll be honest, Katie, I didn't actually read the book. But I've read other things by the author, and I think he's great. And I heard a podcast about the topic, how to lead when you're not in charge. And I love the principle because I think too often we kind of give ourselves a pass and we exempt ourselves from doing anything because, you know what, I'm not in charge. I'm not the leader. I'm not the priest. Um, and I think that's wrong. And I think uh, we're, we're selling ourselves short. I remember back at uh, in, in my old church before I was a priest, um, it went through some rough times. Um, between priests and, you know, there was all kinds of chaos and fighting in the congregation. Um, and eventually, you know, God turned things around and I didn't know it, but at, at apparent, I found out later on that what happened is when it was all that chaos and the church had no priests and people were fighting on Sundays, there was a group, um, a group of dedicated people in the church who loved the church who would just gather together for a weekly prayer meeting. And it wasn't a big thing and it wasn't an advertised thing, but I'll be honest, I believe that that prayer meeting was the source of the blessing that came years later and has continued to this day. And I think if you go through history, I think most movements that changed the world probably started the same way. They they usually aren't top-down initiatives. They're usually a groundswell, a grassroots efforts that eventually builds up into like a tidal wave. So what I would encourage our listeners to do, okay, if you're out there and you're saying, you know, I want to change things, you may not be able to change things. But, but insert the word influence. You can't change your culture, but can you influence the culture? Can you help it move just one step? Like I can't mandate change in my church. I'm just, a, I'm just a Sunday school teacher. I'm just a servant. You know, I'm just a volunteer here. I can't mandate change, but can I model it? You know, I can't tell everyone to do this, but can I speak to one person about it? Can I like, like the group of servants, can I begin praying about it at least? Maybe gathering people to pray about it? The goal to me, should be not how I can make a change as much as how I can create influence and help move one step closer. So, you know, for example, I want my church to be more inclusive and I wish the church should be more inclusive and the church should be more, you know, inclusive. Okay, forget about the church being inclusive. After church on Sunday, you went out to, to lunch with your friends. Did you invite new people? Did you invite someone who isn't part of your social circle? You want the church to be more inclusive, but are you more inclusive? I want the church to be less judgmental and the church shouldn't be judging people. Okay, but do you judge people? Because you're part of the church. So if you're judging the people that you want to be less judging, you see, it, it doesn't work that way. I want people to be, be more loving. Well, are you more loving? It's always easier to focus on what others need to do, but a true influencer, a true leader, focuses on himself. How can I bring us one step closer? Okay, I'm just a candle. I can't I can't, you know, fix all the problems, but I can go to the guy next to me and help light that candle. Who can light that candle? Who can light that candle? And I think that's the way any major change takes place, you know, one person at a time. 
And I think that kind of influence and ownership of, of the change we want to create gets us out of our comfort zones. I mean, that makes me uncomfortable to think about um, being less judging or, or inviting somebody that I don't know out to lunch. All those things that you mentioned make me feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. And, and this is where kind of the rubber meets the road here. It's easy to talk about we want a culture of inclusion and we want change. But I guess my question that everyone needs to wrestle with is what are you willing to do about it? Are you, what are you willing to do to influence the culture? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to do things differently than you've always done them? Are you willing to pay more money? Okay, one of the things that I, I always bring this up when I talk to churches is that, you know, including new people in your church is going to cost you money. It's going to affect your budget because you know what? When you invite guests off the street, okay, when you're inviting your neighbor or your coworker, they're not going to come and start tithing right away. Okay, new members don't usually give right away. It doesn't not until you know they've been there for a while. So are you willing to to have like a line item in your budget and say, you know what, we're going to offer free coffee and we're going to offer you know parking passes or whatever it is? Are you willing to pay more? How about this one? Are you willing to get criticized? Are you willing to get ridiculed? Are you willing to get called out on Facebook? Okay, this is it's inevitable it's going to happen because anytime you're trying to do something great and trying to influence change, you have to be willing that people would look down at you and say you're not doing it the right way, you're not doing it the way we've always done it. And, you know, I, I think of the story when 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 Jesus said to his disciples, okay, when, when they came to him and said, um, you know, the mother of, uh, of James and John said, I want my kids to sit on your right hand, your left hand. And he said to them, you think you're able to drink the cup that I drink? Meaning like, are you able to handle what I'm about to go through? And they said, yes. He said to them, yes, you will. <laughs> you will go through that and you will drink it and you will handle it. And you're darn right. That's It's going to happen to you. They criticized me. They're going to criticize you. Okay. They um, told me I wasn't doing it the right way. They're going to tell you the same thing. But with that said, you still can't sit on my left and right hand. That's a different topic. But the point is, if we are going to influence culture and create change, we got to be willing to endure the cost of that. Okay, our society is is going is not getting better, but it's getting worse. Culture is going downhill. What are we going to do about it? Okay, how far are we willing to go to make a difference? How uncomfortable are we willing to be to influence change? And if there was anyone who was willing to um, be uncomfortable to influence change, it was Jesus, right? I mean, he found the people that society really cast aside completely. And um, he really had to literally go out of his way to to talk to them and to reach out to them. And um, one of the things that you've talked about before is is that Jesus would move towards the mess. And, and he did that literally. Can you explain a little bit more about what that means? Yeah. Typically, I see there's like three options whenever we face, you know, um, a mess, as, as, as you said, which is something which is not what we're used to. So you can take that as like, you know, our, our, our generations before us immigrating from the old country to America. Uh oh, uh, things are a mess here. The culture is not what I'm used to. You can look at it as us as um, Orthodox Christians looking at non-Christians or non-Orthodox and saying like, I, I don't know what to make of that. That's different. Okay. The, the, the first, the two extremes, which you want to avoid are separating or surrendering. Okay, so separating from the parts of the culture that we're like afraid of. So that's like kind of our, our parents' approach when they immigrated here. Of We don't know what, what's going on in the culture, in the school. Just avoid it. Stick to the church. Stick to what we know. Stick to our language. Stick to our culture. Avoid it. Kind of hunker down. Protect yourself. The other extreme is to surrender to the parts of the culture that we, that we enjoy. 
Okay, we we like the freedom here. We like the entertainment here. You know, we like to live, you know, like everyone else lives. So we, we want to make sure we avoid the, those two extremes. Okay, Jesus did not separate from the culture, nor did he surrender to it. Okay, he was a part of the culture. Okay, but he was also apart from the culture at the same time. So what I would say the third option that we want is we want to engage with the parts of the culture that we want to influence. We want to engage with it. Again, we don't want to hide. We don't want to jump in with both feet. All right, what we want to do is we want to engage and influence the parts of the culture that that we can. And that was Jesus. Okay, so you see Jesus. All right, and here comes uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a mess. Zacchaeus is a mess of the greatest order. And everyone avoids Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is the worst, and Zacchaeus is the worst. Jesus moves towards him. He doesn't jump in, okay, and endorse Zacchaeus's, you know, bad practices, but he moves towards the mess. He invites himself over. He spends time with him. He, he influences him one step at a time. Same with the Samaritan woman. Everyone avoid the Samaritan woman. Jesus went out of his way. He says he had to go to that well to see the Samaritan woman. Didn't jump in with both feet, but didn't hide from her. He would move towards her, okay? And that's what he did with everyone. And and Jesus knew that you can't influence people that you don't move towards. It's a simple principle. I cannot influence the culture outside unless I'm willing to talk with the culture and the people in it and spend time with them. That's why Jesus was always out and about in the streets. Everywhere he went, crowds followed him. Okay, he didn't hide. Kids were around him. Sick was around him. He was with lepers in broad daylight, which was a big no-no at the time. He went out of his way to show these people, okay, I may not be just like them, but you know what? They aren't disgusting to me. They are God's children, and I want to move towards them so I can help them and influence them. Can you give us an example of how that might work in our churches today? Yeah, so let's say, for example, okay, Let's say you live on a street and a new family just moved into your street, okay? And, and you know, they're you know, two or three houses down and, you know, they are bad news, all right? And you notice from the very beginning, they're bad news. They, you know, they make a lot of noise and they're messy and their kids curse, okay? And they, you know, they double park and block your driveway, like whatever it is, like they're bad news. Our initial instinct is stay away from them, okay? Avoid them. Again, that's what our parents would say is, don't go near, you know, so-and-so's kids. They're, they're bad. Okay, stay away from them. But let's say that that family that moved in with all those bad habits, let's say that's actually someone in your own family. Let's say that's your brother and his wife and their kids. Would you treat them the same? Okay, would you, would you avoid them like the plague? Or would you think to yourself, you know what? That's my brother. I got to help him. Like, I, I'm going to go knock on his door and tell him, hey, hey, like, you, you got to get your act together. Like, you can't live like this. You can't let your kids... So I'm going to not move away from them. I'm going to move towards them. I'm not going to jump in with both feet. I'm not going to live that lifestyle. But you know what? I, I want to see how I can influence and how I can help. So same thing in our churches. Okay, we as as, as churches, like we, it's easy to isolate ourselves inside. But you know what? There's people outside who we look at them and say they're bad or they're different. Or they're not like us. We're going to avoid them. So let's say I tell you someone who is mentally ill. What are we going to do? Are we going to say, you know, we're going to avoid them? Well, let's say that mentally ill person is my mother or my father. Am I going to avoid them? No, I'm going to move towards them and see how I can help. Let's say someone's struggling with homosexuality. Okay, easy thing. In, in the church, we say, no, 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 that's bad. Keep that outside. But let's say that's like my cousin. Or let's say that's like my, my, my sister or my brother. I'm going to move towards them. I'm going to see how I can help them. 
I was reading an article one time um, that was talking about um, disgust. And it was saying about how when we're far from someone, it's easy to be disgusted with them. Okay, and the quote was this. It said, humans are most likely the only species that experiences disgust, and we seem to be the only one capable of loathing our own species. And basically what the author was saying, saying is that being disgusted with another human being, of that person is too bad, that person is disgusting, that, that's a learned behavior. That's not something that's innate. Okay, you, you find children, okay, children at the youngest age, they're not disgusted with anything. They put anything in their mouth. Okay, some, some people, you know, um, in foreign cultures, they, you know, eat things that we would find disgusting. Some people eat, you know, dogs and cats and monkeys and squirrels. And we're like, that's disgusting. But who said? That's something that we were, we were taught. Okay, so it's saying when it comes to people that, that there are certain people out there that we've been trained are bad or disgusting that stay away from them. You know, if you, if you look at the New Testament, this is the entire New Testament. This is what Jesus was telling his disciples that, you know what? I know you've been trained that the Gentiles are bad and the Samaritans are bad and only you guys are good. But Jesus came to say, no, 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 no. I'm here. Samaritans, I'm here for Samaritans. Okay, women were looked at as lower. I'm here for women as well. Gentiles, they're disgusting. No, no, no. Gentiles, okay, they're all God's children. And Jesus went out of his way to move towards that mess, to move towards that mess and show that no one is disgusting in his eyes. And when we're talking about influencing culture, I think um, it really comes down to knowing people's stories and, and to not think about people in groups, but to really think about people as individuals with, with stories and um, reasons why they, they are the way they are, just like we have reasons why we are the way we are and mm -hmm. how our history shapes us. Mm -hmm. What's one way we could influence that change in culture in, in, um, in our, our organizations or churches? So I heard a quote one time that, um, I don't know if I'll get it exactly, but it basically said something to the effect of, I don't always know what to believe, but I almost always know what love requires me to do. I don't always know, I, I still remember that quote, it's, it's very powerful. I don't always know what I should believe, but I almost always know what love requires me to do. And when I, when I hear that, every one of us has what I call a moral circle, okay? And that circle is, things that we believe are right and things we believe are wrong. So think about it like the circle on the inside is what I believe is right. And other people who live by those standards, they're on the inside of the circle. And people who are on the outside who do who disagree with my view of right and wrong, who may live different lifestyles, they're on the outside. And what we tend to do is the people on the inside, we're nice to the people on the outside, we justify being rude to or, or not including or whatever it may be. Another example, okay? I remember when I um, was in college, I, I was I served as a waiter. Okay, and I worked as a waiter for for you know several months. And anyone out there who's ever been a waiter knows that you know what it's challenging at times, and you appreciate a little extra grace from from your customers, especially in the beginning when you're just kind of picking up um, the routine of things. Well, imagine that you're again back to my last example. Imagine your son, okay, or your brother, or your best friend or your wife or you know your own your own child is a waiter and it's their first day and you come and they mess up your order and they get you you know the the wrong soup and then they you know they forgot to fill up your water and they took forever you would most likely okay it's your son so you'd be patient you'd be kind you'd give them all kinds of grace 
But if that same behavior was from, from a random person, oh my goodness, you'd give them the business, you'd tip them as little as possible, you might complain to, to the, the manager. So what you just did right there is you defined a circle and you said this behavior, when it's done by these people, I'll accept it. And when it's done by these people, I will not accept it. When it's done by my son, that's fine. When it's done by a random person, it's not fine. And we justify this, this lack of equity, okay, by basically saying, you know, this is my people and this is, you know, my family and this is, you know, my friends. So I justify my own double standard. Well, I guess what I would say, Katie, is, is one way that we can put this into practice is can I expand that moral circle? Can I extend the same kindness to that random waiter that I would have done to my son when he was a waiter? Can I extend the same grace to someone who isn't my same ethnicity as someone who is? Someone who isn't my same social class, someone who doesn't share the same political views. Like, can I go back, back to our original question about influencing culture? Can I go to a culture that's very different than me? And can I extend the same grace that I would extend to the people who are inside my inner circle? I don't always know what I should believe about every subject, but I always know what love requires me to do. And if I can view the people outside that circle in a Christ-like, what does love require of me in this situation? I think that's the first step towards influencing our organizations or our churches to be places of inclusion um, versus places that, that push people away. So not just, you know, bare minimum of, of being polite, but you're talking about love, not just not being mean. Absolutely. I mean, not being mean to someone isn't going to save the soul and isn't going to influence culture. Okay. If, if it was enough to just do nothing, um, then a lot more of us would be saints. Okay. But what the standard that Christ set for us is to be love in this world and to act in a way um, in accordance with that love. Definitely something to keep in mind in this election year. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with us today, Father Anthony? Yeah, I just want, want, to, I want to finish up here with a quote from um, St. John Chrysostom. And he famously said that the church is a hospital, not a courtroom for souls. Okay, the church is a hospital, not a courtroom. And that's how I think we will influence not just our, our own you know, circles, but really influence the entire world. Is when we stop seeing ourselves as a place to judge right and wrong. It's not my place to judge right and wrong. Okay, I judge only one person. That's the guy in the mirror. But everyone else other than that, I'm going to love them. I'm going to show grace and I'm going to treat them with the kindness that has been shown to me by my Lord and by others around me. And you know what? If we do that, that's how we're going to change our churches. And that's how our churches are going to change the world. Okay. We have to get serious and decide how much we want to influence the world around us. And if we're, re if we're really serious about doing that, it's going to take going out of our comfort zone and treating others not as a courtroom would treat them, not as judges would treat them, but really as a hospital, as people, all of us are sick and just in need of someone to help us find the source of healing. Thank you, Father Anthony, for chatting with us today about this. Um, we have a lot to think about. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope I get invited back next month too. You'll be back. Don't worry. And thank you all for listening. For more great resources for Orthodox leaders, check out stsaministries.org.